Amen. Please remain standing and take your Bible together with me for our scripture reading this morning. The first one comes from Psalm 10, 11 to 14. Psalm 10, 11 to uh, 14. These verses will remind us who God is and the fact that God is our helper because we are helpless. And then our text this morning will be John 5, 1 to 17. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you not mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless or the helpless. Let's turn to John chapter 5 this morning. As we continue making our way through the Gospel of John, we find ourselves this morning in John 5, 1 to 17. After this, there was a feast of, Jew, of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, in Aramaic, called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In this lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. See no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus 
who healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. The reading of the holy and infallible word of God. And may the Lord add blessing on the reading and the preaching of his word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, this is your word. This is our food. This is our spiritual nourishment. And this morning, O oh Lord, we come to you and we ask you to feed us by your word. This heavenly manna, Jesus Christ, your son, feed our souls by your holy word. Shape us, change us, transform us, bless us. Give us more joy and more growth as we hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with the expression, God helps those who help themselves. Do you know the majority of people who uses this expression, they think that this expression is found in the Bible. In fact, I had a man who one time picked his Bible and he started opening the Bible to show me that this expression is in the Bible. And guess what? He couldn't show me because it is not in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves is not in the, in the Bible. It is actually a Greek mythology belief, not a biblical statement. And if you inquire, ask how that expression could be expressed biblically, it should be God helps those who cannot help themselves. In Psalm 10, 14, we read this morning, you have been the helper of the fatherless. You have been the helper of the helpless. And this is exactly what we see in our text this morning, beloved. Jesus, the helper, helping the helpless lame man at the pool in Bethsaida in Jerusalem. Again, observe how the book is progressing. How the book is progressing to show us who Jesus is. To show us that Jesus Christ is indeed the Christ and the Savior of the world. Remember the purpose why the Gospel of John was written. 
You find it in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, where John tells us Jesus has done many, many other miracles. But all these miracles that that are written for us in the Gospel of John were written so that people would believe in Christ. And believing in Christ would have eternal life. We see signs, we see miracles, we see wonders in the Bible, not only in the Gospel of John. The purpose always is to show people that Christ is indeed the Messiah. And now we see Christ as the omnipotent Savior and man as the impotent. You know, they both meet at the pool in Jerusalem, the omnipotent Savior and the helpless man. And the lesson this morning is our Lord Jesus Christ finds us while we are helpless, impotent, without hope, faith, and he helps us. And I want us to Consider that this morning together in three ways. First, I want us to consider the picture of the human condition from verse 1 to 7. Man outside of Christ, how does his condition look like? Is he able to help himself or he's helpless? And then a marvelous demonstration of divine power. In verses 8 and 9, when Jesus helped the helpless. And then thirdly, the man healed versus the false religion in Israel. How did they react when Jesus healed this man? How did the religious uh, elite in Israel respond? Were they joyful? Did they gather people in the temple and gave praise to God, to Jesus as God? How did they respond? How would you expect them to respond? First, the picture of the human human condition. John tells us, after this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five roofed uh, colonnades, in this lay a multitude of uh, invalids, invalids and lame, blind, and paralyzed. And one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now notice what is happening. When John said after this, He meant after Jesus healed the official son from uh, in in Capernaum. After Jesus demonstrated his, his omnipotence, a God with unlimited power on the son of the official. After bringing the official's family to saving faith, 
You all remember what happened. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live, and he himself believed, and all his household. Isn't that amazing? When Jesus was healing the boy, the official son, from physical sickness, he was healing his father. He was also healing his father, his father's soul. He was after the salvation of the father and the salvation of the entire household. Faith, salvation came to his household. Now, he comes to Jerusalem. Jesus comes to Jerusalem, the center of Israel's religion and worship to continue his earthly ministry. And in Jerusalem, there was this pool called Bethzeda. It means the house of mercy. And at the pool, there was a man and other sick people, lame, blind, paralyzed. All kinds of sick people. And there was this man who was paralyzed for 38 years. He was waiting for the uh, movement of the water to walk to the water first and be healed. And he was waiting for that for 38 years. Every time the water is stirred up, he couldn't get into the water first because he was unable to move. He had no one to help him to get to the water first. Now I want you to observe with me that this man had two specific, specific problems. First, he was helpless. He was unable to walk to the water first and get healed. Second, he had no hope. So, he had no ability and he had no hope. He had no faith on anyone, in anyone. Because he told Jesus, I have no one. No one would come and help me and get me to the water first so that I would be healed. So you see, no ability, no hope, no faith. How do you describe this man? Helpless. Impetent was he. Notice Jesus comes to the pool and his attention among the vast number of people, his attention rests on this one man. Now, if you, are, if you, you and I were at the pool, this man would be, would never be noticed. He would be lost among the crowd. If, if he was from you and I. But remember this, brothers and sisters in Christ. No one would be lost in the crowd with Jesus. 
When Jesus wants to show mercy, when Jesus wants to save, he will find you among the crowd. You will not be lost. Verse 6 tells us this. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, omniscience, and omnipotence is meeting impotent man. They meet. He knew what happened to him. He knew for how long he waited at the pool, 38 years. And Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? Well, if you put yourself in the man's shoe, and Jesus comes to you, and you have been there for 38 years, and Jesus comes to you, and he asks you, do you want to be healed? How would you react? If I were him, I would say, yes, of course. That's why I've been here for 38 years. Now let me ask you this. Why did, ask, why did Jesus ask him that question? Why did, this, did Jesus ask him, do you want to be healed? Because he knew. Jesus is omniscient. Jesus is God. He knew. But the reason why he asked him that question was to give him the opportunity to expose this man to his condition and explain his own condition to Jesus himself. You remember God coming to the garden after the fall, and calling Adam, 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 where are you? Was God seeking information from Adam? Was God unable to find where Adam and Eve were hiding? He's God. He's omniscient. The reason why God said in the garden, Adam, Adam, where are you? Because God wanted Adam to explain his condition to God. In fact, Adam said, you remember, I'm afraid because I have done what you told me not to do. I sinned, I fall, I'm ashamed, I'm afraid your voice. That's exactly what God wanted. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted from this man. Do you understand your condition? Do you understand that you are helpless? Do you understand that you are impotent unless I help you? That's the reason, brothers and sisters in Christ, why Jesus asked him that question. And this is a clear picture of man's helpless and hopeless condition. This is not only about his physical sickness. Him unable to help himself to get to the water first and be healed. No, that's not the prime purpose here. The prime purpose is to show us that all people outside of Christ for salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins, they are impotent. They are unable to help themselves. Isn't that what the scripture tells us? Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, the word weak doesn't explain 
Paul's language, clearly what it means is, while we were still helpless, impotent, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly being the helpless. The ungodly being the totally depraved man and woman in this world. Unable to save themselves. Jesus died on the cross while we were still helpless. Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the common worlds of Israel, and strangers to the uh, covenants of promise. Listen to this, having no hope and without God. No ability, no hope. And without God, without God means without you experiencing the presence of God's power in your life. There was no connection between you and God. There was no communion between you and God. It was broken. It was damaged because of sin. Adam sinned, he died, and you died with him. You see, the language of the scripture always, beloved, is dead. In sin, not sick, not partially dead, hardly breathing, no, no, dead, no breath, no ability, no faith, no hope. That's the picture here. The psalmist in Psalm 33 18 prayed. This prayer. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death. See? The eye of the Lord is on who? Those who fear him, those who hope in his Steadfast love, in Hebrew we call that chesed, which means covenantal love of God, unconditional love of God. Anyone who hopes in that love, put his hope on that love, then God delivers him, his, delivers his soul from what? From death. That was the condition of this man. This man was a sinner. And Jesus clearly told him that, as, as you see it in verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more. That nothing worse may happen to you. You are a sinner. But now you are whole. I made you whole. Sin no more. Unless worse thing will happen to you. He was a sinner. Then we come to this marvelous demonstration of divine power. In verse 7, you see, the man told Jesus, I have no power and helper and hope. No one. 
then Jesus exerts his divine authority and say to the man in verse 8, Get up! Carry your bed and walk. Beloved, that was Jesus exercising his divine power and divine command upon this man as God. Do you see what Jesus was telling this man? Listen. I'm glad you understand your condition. And I'm going to help you. You are helpless. You are impotent. I'm going to help you. But I'm going to do it in a different way. You don't need to go to the water and get there first in order to be healed. You don't need to do that. I am God. I rule over this water, over all sicknesses. You're not, you don't need to do that. And you don't need to, do, to wait for anyone to take you to the water. This is what, what I'm going to do. Right now, I want you to get, get up. I want you to stand up. Carry your bed and walk. Do you know what happened after that? The man got up, took his bed, carried it, and he walked instantly. We don't see Jesus saying to this man, you know what, I also want you to visit a doctor and have physiotherapy. Now, he was made whole instantly. Do you know, strangely enough, one of the well-known Bible commentators, William Parkley, a Scottish New Testament professor, when he was dealing with this miracle, do you know what he said? When Jesus asked this man, do you want to be healed? He was asking this man to put all his efforts, to put his supreme efforts to cooperate with Jesus. And Jesus and this man will make healing take place. William, I never met him in person, but he should know better. That's not what Jesus was doing. Clearly this man told Jesus, I, I, I can't do that. I'm unable. I can't do that. Unless someone helps me, I can't do that. And Jesus said, yes, that's right. So I'm going to tell you now to get up, carry a bed, and walk. Yes, it's only me who can do this. Only the Son of God, God himself, can do this. No one else. Beloved, Jesus was not asking him to cooperate with him. To put his own efforts and for Jesus and himself to make miracle happen. Only Jesus, the Son of God, can do such thing. Remember, this story is given to us as a sign so that we may believe in Jesus Christ. Not we may believe in Christ and this man. 
them working together. No, for us to believe in Christ, in Christ alone. When Jesus speaks, beloved, a word of command, he gives what is lacking so that what he wills comes to pass. He commands what he wills, and he wills what he commands. That's Jesus. That was the famous prayer of the church father, Augustine. When he prayed, and I caught, Lord, command what you will, and grant what you command. You see, beloved, what happened here, Jesus had to do something in the life of this man for faith to be produced. You see, in his prayer, Augustine was saying, Lord, you can say, love me with all your heart, strength, and soul, but the problem is, I don't have that. I love myself, sometimes. I love the thing of this world, sometimes. I don't love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, all the time. I fail you. You tell me to repent and believe. The gospel call, but unless you enable me by the Holy Spirit, I don't have the power, I don't have the ability. So give what you command. Beloved, beloved in Paul in Philippians 4.13 said, I can do all things, all things. Believing, repenting, I can do all those things through him who strengthens me. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Not you, God works to will and to work in you. And then you act. But God takes the initiative. God comes first. Not you and God, God first. Do you believe? Yes. Do you come to Jesus? Yes. Do you repent? Yes. Do you believe? Yes. But you do all those things with God's help. It's not a cooperation. It's a gift. So that no one would boast, Paul said. So that only God would be glorified in the salvation of sinners. Not God and man, but only God. God would take all the credit, not you and I. No one would say, well, I had a role in my salvation. I had a role in my sanctification. Yes, you obeyed in your sanctification, in your justification. You had no role at all. Your justification, from the beginning to the end, was the work of God. You just received it as a beggar. You see, when we understand salvation in that way, beloved, God takes all the glory. We don't share the glory with him. Only God takes all the glory. Isn't that wonderful? Why do we need that glory for ourselves? God takes all the glory 
Second Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from the Lord, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You see, beloved, all this help comes from God. You see, the lesson that we receive from this story, listen carefully. The lesson that we receive from this story is not faith makes what Jesus does possible. That's not the teaching here. Let me tell you what the teaching here is. What Jesus does makes faith possible. That's the lesson. What Jesus does makes faith possible. Do you remember the people of Israel when God told them, go and enter to that land. And he sent Joshua and Caleb to spy the land. They came back and they brought the report to the people. And the majority people in Israel, they said, no, we, we can't do that. We don't have that ability. Even with the help of God. It was not about their own ability. It was about the ability from God, the help from God. They denied that. And they were thinking about their own strengths. As if they would inherit the land by their own strengths. By the, their own strengths. They said, no, we're not ready for this. And uh, Caleb and Joshua said, no, God will help us. God will help us, the helpless. Let's go. And listen to Moses in Deuteronomy 2.14. And that time from our leaving uh, Kadesh, Bernay, until we crossed the brook Zered was 38 years. That is the men of war had perished from the camp, as the Lord has sworn to them. How many years? 38 years. For how many years was the man at the pool? 38 years. Do you see the parallel here? You disobey God, you disbelieve God, you rely on your own strengths, you will be in the wilderness for many, many years. Unless you rely on God's strength and help. This is why we need Jesus, the Holy Spirit, not the law. The law tells you what to do, but it doesn't give you the strength to do it. Romans 8, 3 and 4, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. For sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now very briefly, let's consider the religion of the time. The man healed and the, the false religion. So the man was healed. Jesus told him, I made you whole. No more, no more sin. 
So the man was rejoicing. Jesus fulfilled his mission. What about the religion in Israel? What about those men who are representing religion in Israel? They say to the man, who is this man who commanded you, who told you to, to stand up and carry your bed on the Sabbath? You know, the, the regulation that they added on God's law, man-made rule. And they were furious that this man was healed. You see, that's the, that's the character of false religion, brothers and sisters in Christ. False religion will never honor Christ and Christ's work among any people. False religion worships itself, worships man, worships man, worships man's tradition. False religion claim to be godly, claim to be religious, but it's fake, it's fraud. They were saying, who is this man? We want to deal with him. And Jesus' response, brothers and sisters in Christ, was this. What's the problem? My father is working. So do his son. I'm working. Beloved congregation, even today, Jesus is working. The gates of hell will never prevail, the church. Read New Horizon. Look around you. Talk to other Christians who are participating in missions. Jesus is working. People are being converted. Sinners are being added into the number, into the kingdom of God. Jesus is working, beloved. He's working among us. We might look small, but he's working among us. He's working in the mission fields. He's working everywhere. So Jesus said to them, my father is working and I'm working. And you and I as helpless men and women being redeemed by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, we belong to this Jesus who continues working. Praise to him. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, help us now to treasure your word in our hearts, in our minds, to especially humble ourselves from the work of your grace, from the strength that we only receive from you. Oh Lord, help us to remind ourselves that if it was not from Christ, through his work, death and sanctifying work, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in our life, 
would never be saved. So help us to understand these things and worship you and glorify you accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.